Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Claudia. And we're the Dudgy Crime Girls. Yes, we are. Hello and welcome. And it's Wednesday and we're here for it. You know us. We never let you down. No, and we are so happy you're here. Hey, did you know this is our second to last Criminal Currents episode? That's right. Next week, we will bring you the last episode of the season. Yeah. Can you believe it? No. And while we are continuing on into the next season, because you guys asked for it, so we're bringing it, we are going to be bringing to you more Freaky Friday, Judgy After Dark episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. And for just $3 a month, you can join us for those as well. And we are so excited that we had a couple of subscribers today. So, Kim, thank you for joining us and supporting the show. And Michaela, thank you so much for joining. If I mispronounced your name, please let us know or let me know. But that's how I would say it. So thank you so much, Michaela. If you would like to learn about Judgy After Dark and listen to those subscription episodes, it's super easy to do. Just click on the link and it will say to follow the links to Mm -hmm. get sign up. Yeah, super easy. Our longer cases are there. You'll get a discount on our merch and a shout out on the show for supporting us. Thank you so much. Yeah, we love it. We love you. So what's going on? What's been going on? Well, I've been staying out of trouble, mm-hmm. which is super boring. So I did look up. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> I looked up all the ways I could get into trouble in Fort Wayne. Oh, okay. Because I like to look at ridiculous laws for fun. Mm-hmm. So what do we have here? Well, it looks like spiteful gossip, talking behind a person's back, are both illegal in Fort Wayne. <laughs> what else thank goodness for showers in fort wayne it's illegal to take a bath between the months of october and march (laughs) (laughs) somebody needs to revisit these laws fort wayne law also says that any person who has a puppet, wire dancing, or tumbling show and receives cash will be fined three whole dollars by the act to prevent certain immoral practices. <laughs> <laughs> a whole three dollars. Put your puppets away. I'll risk it for three dollars. Catch me if you can. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Oh, that's so funny. It is illegal in Fort Wayne to sport a mustache, but only if the man has a tendency to kiss other people. So if you're going to kiss somebody, it's illegal to have a mustache. (laughs) I feel like I need to go on Canva and make a whole set of these. Oh, you should. That would be so funny. Grab a seat, guys in Fort Wayne. Men are prohibited from standing in a bar. (laughs) I can't with these. But yeah, that's half of the stuff that's illegal in this city. I had no idea. Me neither. But now I want to go try. (laughs) We we should. We should. (laughs) And then we should post a picture of us doing it. With fake mustaches. Oh, yes. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) You guys, if your town has any funny laws, share them with us. Yeah, if you're in Fort Wayne, I'm sure maybe you had heard of some of those. Maybe you hadn't, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize 
they existed. And if you're not from Fort Wayne, now you know what kind of a crazy town we are living in. Yeah. If your town is just as crazy, let us know some of those funny laws. Seriously, send us a voicemail. We'll play them on the air. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Go to judgycrimegirls.com and leave us a voicemail. Do it. That would be fun. Yeah. What you got for us today? I am going to tell you about the Coldhurst family murder in Craig, Alaska. (gasps) Have you ever watched Deadliest Catch on TLC? I think it was on or maybe the Discovery Channel. I saw it, but I didn't like watch it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's about commercial fishermen fishing in the Bering Sea somewhere. That life is meant for only a special few. And I used to complain about how much crab legs were at the restaurant. But years and years ago, I watched an episode of The Deadliest Catch. And what those guys go through, I will never complain about the price of crab legs again. It's, I mean, crazy what they go through. Their fatality rate is 23 times higher than all other workers. It's one of the most dangerous jobs. 23 times higher for those guys. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But those guys work hard. They work super hard. And fishing was a way of life for the Coldhurst family. Mark Coldhurst was 28 years old, and he had just bought a brand new boat and named it Investor. The Investor was a 58-foot boat designed for fishing and came with a $850,000 price tag. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Almost a million dollars. She was a state-of-the-art vessel with all the bells and whistles that you can think of a fishing boat needs. I don't even love boats, but I think I would probably like that one. Yeah. Well, the ship was actually envied among the other fishermen. I That's how nice the investor was. And Mark was smart. He was very hardworking, and he always dreamed of making it big in the fishing industry. And he quickly became quite successful after starting in the field at age 16. That's so young. Ooh, it is. And we're in Alaska, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. He told people he was going to retire by the age of 50, and people believed him. That's how hard he worked, and that's how good he was at his job. So on September 5th, 1982, the investor arrived at the docks of Craig, Alaska, shortly before the end of a successful salmon fishing season. Mark was aboard the investor along with his pregnant wife, Irene, she was 28, as well as his two children, five-year-old Kimberly and four-year-old John. Mark also had a small crew of four deckhands. One of them was Mark's cousin, Mike Stewart. He was 19 years old. And Mark had also hired high school buddies, Jerome Keown and Dave Moon, and both of them were also 19. 
And he also had a family friend on board, and his name was Chris Heyman, and he was just days away from turning 18. Oh, wow. So the crew had a good haul during the week, loaded with 77 pounds of salmon, ready to be offloaded that afternoon. Mark sold the salmon, expecting payment of about $30,000 the next day. And this business arrangement was slightly unusual, but only because the game and fish department had temporarily halted the fishing season. So he had to wait through the weekend until Monday to be paid. But they unloaded the fish already. Okay, gotcha. Wow, that's a lot of fish. That's a lot of money. 77,000 pounds of fish. They must have had really great equipment, nets, all the stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mike, his family, and the crew were actually all from Blaine, Washington, and they didn't know a whole lot of people in Craig. But the ones they did know said Mark and Irene were super friendly and never hesitated to help others in need. So as they settled down, the crew tied the investor to a couple of boats that were already tied to the dock, the Defiant and the Decade. Why? Well, this was towards the end of the fishing season, and there were about 150 boats in that bay, and space was super limited. So other boats had to tie to the boat ahead of them. That was common. Yeah. I mean, it was busy that day, that weekend. But by tying to the Defiant and the Decade meant for the family and the crew to walk across the other two ships to get onto the dock to get into town. But thankfully, Mark had a really good relationship with both boat crews, so it was no problem for them to, you know, traipse all over their boat to get on land, so to speak. It was Mark's birthday that day, actually, and the family wanted to celebrate at Ruth Ann's, one of the very few local restaurants in town. The family and crew were in the super good mood after dinner when they headed back to their boat at approximately 9.30 p.m. While crossing over the two ships to get to their own, they were seen by a crewman on the decade who even remembered little John popping into the pilot house to say hello and good night. The boat that the investor was tied to the decade threw a party that night, and that crew would be drinking and partying until the early morning hours while actually a storm was raging outside. This does not sound like a birthday I would enjoy. Yeah, I know, but they had a great day. (laughs) But during those hours, Mark, his family, and the crew were fast asleep. They weren't bothered by any of that. And this would be the last time anyone on the investor would be seen alive. Unseen, undetected by anyone, a man walked to the docks, entered the Defiant and the Decade, to get on board the investor. No one on the decade noticed anyone heading towards the investor. They had a party. Remember, they had lots going on, lots of drinking. And uh, it was not until the next day, the next morning, September 6th, that three 
pretty hungover crewmen from the decade saw the investor slowly drifting away from the dock around 6.30 in the morning. Oh. They did notice that the motor wasn't running and figured the investor, or Mark, didn't want to wake anybody by firing up the motor. They must have not been drinking that much. Because (laughs) if they're noticing this at 6.30... Right, yeah. But they saw a man on board, and they waved to him. And the guy waved back to them, so they assumed it was actually Mark, and they went back about their business, whatever they needed to do. Okay. But some time later, another ship saw the investor anchor on an island about a mile away from Craig. Once the investor was on the island, the skiff, the investor's skiff, which is a small motorboat, they would use to transport supplies or whatever back and forth, mm-hmm. was used by an unidentified man to get back to Craig. The man got off the skiff, and he was seen that day, that morning, by several people before he disappeared into a store. And, you know, nobody thought anything of it because there were hundreds of people on that island that day. After all, that small town was hopping with people. Well, sure, yeah. Who's going to notice one one more person? Right. So after this guy purchased two and a half gallons of gasoline, he went back to the skiff and then back to the investor. He then dumped the gasoline all over the boat. No. And then he set it on fire. Oh, I hate this. Me too. Well, he wasn't really in a hurry to get off the boat. He slowly turned and he got back on the skiff. And that was around 4 p.m. Another ship called the Casino noticed smoke coming from, you know, further down and quickly headed to the location of the fire, hoping maybe to help with the fire or help the crew, whatever they needed to do. And as they headed towards the investor, they passed this dude on the skiff wearing a dark baseball cap and he was heading towards Craig. So they talked to him and the guy was like, I'm going to go get help. Everybody is fine and don't worry and went about his way. He just kept going towards Craig. Oh my goodness. So when he got there, people saw him, made a phone call and he was telling a few people you know, that he was there trying to get help for the boat, made a phone call, and then nobody ever saw him again. He was gone. Oh, that's how he escaped, because he left on land, like disappeared on land. Well, because everybody was so busy, nobody really, you know, paid attention to him. But they think that he got on another boat or got on the boat and left by sea. Oh, that's how he got out of there. That would make sense because he probably did that before because he's been hopping boats. Probably. Oh, my gosh. And all people remember was his face. And they said it was either acne scars or pockmarked. And that's all they could remember really about him. Meanwhile, state authorities arrived and stopped all the other boat crews 
from assisting, from helping to put out the fire. And the fire burned for hours. No. Turning the investor literally into a floating crematorium. Why would you stop people trying to put the fire out? I don't know. And by the time the fire was brought under control, any forensic evidence was almost entirely lost. But autopsies would later be performed on two of the bodies that were retrieved. It was found that both Mark and his wife, Irene, were shot and killed before the fire started. The other six people were almost burned beyond recognition. They did find little Kimberly or identified little Kimberly, and they found a jawbone that they matched to one of the crew that were on board. So there were eight of them, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That is so sad. Yeah. In just moments, really, eight lives were taken by a man who was able to sneak on board and across two boats to kill eight people. Yeah, but why them? I don't know, but police felt that Mark was the main target and all the others were simply just collateral damage. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. With dozens of eyewitnesses, the man should have been caught shortly after the bodies were discovered, you would think. But like I said, they couldn't find him, and he probably hopped on another boat. Well, to me, and I didn't grow up in like a port city, Mm -hmm. so, but the idea of hopping boats being in somebody else's personal space is very odd to me where I would sleep and not know who's on my deck to walk across. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it's pretty common. Wow. I guess these guys trust each other. Yeah. So that man was never found. But two years later, just a few days after the second anniversary of the murders, the police announced that they were charging a man in the crime. And he was 24-year-old John Kenneth Peel. Police say they had eyewitness and physical evidence against him, and he fit the description witnesses gave of that guy. Yeah. When he was sent to his arraignment, Peel showed up wearing a ski mask in order to protect his identity. He has no criminal record. No anger issues were ever reported. He actually got married a year before the murders, and he had a little boy. Police allege that Peel is a good suspect because he used to actually work for Mark. (gasps) And Mark fired Peel for substance abuse, which left the two men on bad terms. However, those two knew each other pretty well because Peel dated Mark's sister for about three years, and Mark and Irene still bought a wedding present for Peel when he got married after he was fired. They still bought a wedding present. It sounds like they were on pretty good terms to me. Right. I yeah. wouldn't buy someone a wedding gift. If we parted on bad terms, I wouldn't either. Yeah. I mean, he's no longer dating her. Mm-mm. You have no ties. You had to fire him. Yeah. 
Why buy him a gift? Yeah, it just made sense for the two of them to remain on good terms. I mean, they had similar social circles. They worked in the same field. They would still see each other, I'm sure, in the fishing industry. It didn't make sense for them to be on bad terms. Right. And maybe they parted on bad terms at that moment. Mm-hmm. And work things out right. afterwards. But still, just a little touchy background there. Yeah. But Peel was allegedly seen speaking with Mark at the restaurant prior to the murders with no signs of disagreement between those two. But it places him at the scene. Yes. Anyway, investigators claim that Peel was still pissed off about being fired, and he stewed over that the whole time. Police allege that after seeing Mark at the restaurant, Peel took advantage of the situation. He waited until the storm got worse, climbed aboard the Defiant and the Decade, found Mark and his wife, fought with them, and killed them both in a fit of rage. Afterwards, he would go through the ship and kill everyone else on the boat. And once everything was done, Peel waited until morning, drifted the boat away in silence, waited a day and went back to shore to buy gasoline before burning down the boat. So he must have shot them right when he got on the boat Mm -hmm. during the storm and that loud party and no one heard. Like while it was still attached to Mm -hmm. the other boats, he shot them. He really took a risk like doing Mm -hmm. that Not having anyone catch on. Right. And that is why investigators were looking at this, like, is he guilty or who is guilty? But instead, can we pursue charges on this? Yeah. I mean, this man was facing 20 years in prison for arson and 99 years for each of the murder. As he should. Yeah. So they got to make sure this is the right guy. Peel's lawyers argued that because no witnesses could or would definitely place Peel at the scene, he could not have done it. Further, Peel's lawyers proved that not only was gasoline not used, but instead it could have been kerosene or another type of accelerant due to the residue left behind by the fire. And then with that, the judge dismissed the charges against Peel. However, he could still be tried for this at a later time. But the judge was like, the prosecution would need more evidence and be sure this time. And that October, Peel was indicted a second time. This time, prosecutors had a better strategy. However, it was still pretty weak. They relied on eyewitness testimony, which was shaky at best. So one guy claimed he did hear the gunshots in the distance, but he was also drinking that night. Mm. And then a waitress from the restaurant where they had Mark's birthday dinner Mm -hmm. said she saw them talking to each other. And that still wasn't enough. No. With all of that, the new jury was unable to come to an agreement, resulting in a hung jury, as no solid motive was ever given. And because of that, John Peel was now a free man who was acquitted. Wow. But it wasn't over for Peel and his family. The two trials lasted almost five years, and during that time, he was mainly under house arrest. He spent 
you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to defend himself. And he later decided to sue the state for $150 million. And then in his lawsuit, he also requested for the investigation into the murders to continue. And because the state actually still believes he is the perpetrator, the case remains closed to this day. They're not looking at anybody else or if anybody else could have done that because they think he did it. Yeah. Eventually, Peel reached a settlement of $900,000. That is unbelievable. Yeah. That is so sad that they know, you know, he is their main suspect. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at anyone else. Yeah. But they had to write that check. But... See, and I feel like if that many people in Craig saw him and talked to him, why is no one 100% sure it was him and if he did it? That's what I'd like to know, because nobody could or would say for sure that it was him that day. Oh, eyewitnesses can't 100% say that they saw him? That it was him. Yeah, they couldn't or wouldn't say. I mean, he talked to a lot of people that day. A lot of people saw the man. Interesting, because it's almost like, I mean, from the way you described it, he had a pretty unique face. Right. Um. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. That people would not recognize him. Right. Right away. I would. Mm -hmm. Well, I would like to think I would. Yeah. You know, I know you said it was a really, really busy weekend because of what had happened. Right. Things were stalled. Yeah. Chaos with parties and whatnot. But like even after it happened Mm -hmm. and he came back on that boat, first of all, anytime one ship is kind of in panic and then you see the skiff. Yeah. Everybody's eyes should be going to that skiff. Right. I would, and I am not in that industry, but I just know I would. Right. Yeah, interesting. But really, the case is actually still unsolved. Wow. That's such a good one. Good job, Claudia. Well, thank you. If you like this episode, please give us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. That would really help us out to be more visible. We would really appreciate it. Yeah, we always love the feedback. So thank you so much for listening. Stay sassy. Stay judgy. And stay tuned in with the Judgy Crime Girls every Wednesday and Friday. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye.